Well, good morning. What a privilege it is to be with you on Father's Day. It's a special day for sure, and, and um, as I was preparing for our time together this morning, I was, I was thinking back of some of my early memories of my dad, and I know that some of us didn't have a great relationship with our dad or possibly didn't even know our biological fathers, but uh, I am grateful that I'm not one of those people. I had a great relationship with my dad, and he was a huge influence in my life. And uh, as this weekend came about, I, I sincerely miss him. He's been gone about three years, gone to be with the Lord. So I do miss him, but I am so grateful for him. But some of my earliest memories, as I was thinking back about this, is when my dad had a softball game. He played for the Hanley Hills Baptist Church softball team. And, um, and those were special nights. Sometimes mom would go with us, but most of the time it was dad and I. And we'd, and this was probably maybe the best part, we'd go to White Castle and get a sack of sliders. And then we'd go to either Heeman Park or Forest Park to the Ball Diamonds there. And we'd get there a little early so we could eat. And then we'd play a little catch. And then the rest of the guys would show up and dad would go off and start warming up with them. But and then when the kids came, then we were playing ball and swinging the bat and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And when we, weren't, when we weren't doing that, when we weren't going to ball games, Dad was usually in the backyard with me playing baseball, teaching me how to catch and bat and throw. In fact, here's an old video that my dear beloved wife pulled out of our archives. That's my dad, by the way. That's me. <laughs> that, was, that was before I developed this right here. Yeah. Dad loved baseball. He loved baseball. He loved the Cardinals. And guess what? I grew up loving baseball, loving the Cardinals. And as soon as I was old enough to get into Little League, I wanted to play Little League ball. And um, I was pretty good. I was pretty good. And then I got a little older and a little older and found out I couldn't hit a curveball. I dreamed about being a Cardinal with my dad in the stands watching me, but it just I wasn't cut out for that. I came to the conclusion, but I am a Cardinals fan, and the things that I learned from my dad, I passed on to my son, Ryan, who turned out to be the best player of the bunch. He was able to pitch for his college team. He was quite good, a better athlete, and, um, but he is a rabid Cardinals fan. He's in the Air Force, and he's traveled and, and lived in different places around the world. He follows the Cardinals no matter where he's at, and then he's passed that on to our grandkids. So William and Sean, they love the Cardinals. They've got all the Cardinals shirts, you know, the hats, the whole thing. So whenever they come into town, and it's not all that often, but when they do, if the Cardinals are playing, we go down and see the Cardinals. They love it. So I tell that story not only because it's Father's Day and it's a good memory for me, but I, I tell that story because those, those things of doing things together, being with another person not only builds the love you have for each other, but it passes on the interests, the love of the things that you like to do, whether it's playing baseball or the Cardinals or fishing. I mean, my dad influenced me greatly, greatly in my spiritual life because he loved Jesus. And it's no wonder that I grew up in that kind of environment, and I love Jesus. If you don't hear anything else this morning that I'm going to say about this passage, I want you to hear this, because this is the key point. There's a transformational power of being with. 
there's a transformational power of being with. And that is critical to being sent. Relationship and discipleship go hand in hand. Discipleship's not something you learn in a class or read in a book. It's about being with other people. And we're going to see that in the text today. If you're fairly new with us, you've only been here, maybe this is your first Sunday with us, or if you've been here for a couple of Sundays, we are preaching through the book or the gospel of Mark. And one of the reasons we chose this particular book is because it's a book of transitions and new beginnings. And that's kind of where our church is at. Our church is going through some transitions. Our senior pastor, Bill Jones, resigned in January. Bill and Carol will be involved in missions in Reach Global, the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church of America's global mission program. They'll be teaching and training pastors and missionaries around the globe. I am resigning as of August 31. I'll be working as of September the 1st with a mission organization called International Needs to bring the good news of Jesus to people who have never, ever heard or about Jesus. And I'm looking forward to that. It's the next phase that God has for me. But in the midst of that, our church is going through transition. Here's something I want you to catch. One of the things that stabilizes transition are relationships that we build within the church, within the church body. These are extremely important, and it helps stabilize our congregation and our church as we move forward, because life is full of changes. It's not just our church. I mean, think about your families. Think about us growing older and how we make those changes. Our neighborhoods change. Our jobs change. Things are changing all around us, but relationships help stabilize those changes. So I challenge us as a congregation that we would be intentional about building relationships within our church family as well as, as we're going to see in the passage today, beginning to build relationships outside of our church family. I'm going to do something just a little bit different this morning. I want to read our passage of Scripture, but in honor of God's Word, I'd like all of you to stand up, and if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, there in front of you, it's page 709, and if you're a little higher tech than I am, which most of you probably are, you can follow along on the UVerse Bible app on your phone, and if you do that, you can go to, I understand. I tried to do this last Sunday, guys, and I couldn't figure it out, so I'm only doing what I've been told. You can go to that app, open it up, and go to events, and it'll give you the passage and some other notes and so forth. So anyway, Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, 
James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we want to acknowledge your presence this morning. You've promised in your word that where two or more are gathered together, you are in our midst. Father, you never lie to us. And by faith, we believe that your presence is with us this morning and in the power of your Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to speak to us through your word, that you would prompt us through your scripture, through what's said, maybe through what other people say. Prompt us, Father. Lead us. We want to be obedient to follow you. And Lord Jesus, I would ask that you would keep my words on point, that I wouldn't stray. And Father, also, we want to remember our high school students, our staff, and our volunteers that are heading out to Colorado, even as we are praying at this moment. Give them safe travel. Watch over them. And Father, we would ask that your spirit would meet them this week. You would protect them physically as well as spiritually and emotionally, but that you would speak to them and tender their hearts and draw them to yourself. Father, for those high school students or volunteers that don't know you, Father, we pray that they would come to know you and that eternal memories would be made this week. We ask these things in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin by giving you just a little bit of background here. In the first three chapters, Jesus' fame and his ministry is growing exponentially. Suddenly, crowds of people are following him. And as we saw last week, with that, there's, there's resistance. Last week, Pastor John talked about the religious leaders that are now planning to kill him. At the same time, we've noted in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, both, that there is a spiritual resistance that's going on. Jesus has been confronting demon-possessed people. Demons are speaking out, and Jesus confronts them as well. But this is important because as Jesus becomes more well-known, there's always a physical resistance and there's always a spiritual resistance that's going on, and he's facing that presently. And there's something else that's important to know about this particular invitation that Jesus extends to these 12. It's not quite how it appears. In other words, Jesus did, didn't just pick these 12 guys out and say, why don't you come on up to the mountain? He's been building a relationship and working with these guys for quite some time. Unfortunately, the Gospels are not placed in chronological order. And so the Gospel writers, it's difficult to figure it out. So I would encourage you, if you're a, a student of the Bible, if you don't have a chronological New Testament, the Gospels, it's worth buying and getting on your shelf because it puts the timeline to a lot of the things that we read. If you go to that and you look... Jesus has actually been cultivating this relationship with his disciples for some time. If you start in John chapter 1, that's his first invitation and contact with the disciples. John the Baptist has baptized him. John the Baptist has pointed to him and said, this is the Lamb of God. He's the guy that's going to take away the sin of the world. He's got some guys that have been following him that are quite curious, 
they come to Jesus, begin some dialogue with him, and Jesus issues his first invitation. He says, come and see. Chapter 1, verses 38 and 39. And as you read a chronological order of the events, at that point, Jesus begins to build a relationship with these guys. The first event is the wedding of Cana, where he turns the water into wine. A period of time passes, and it's hard to know exactly how long of time, but Jesus is beginning to build relationship with these guys over a period of time. At that point, in Matthew 4, 19, Jesus approaches them again, and this time he's got a different invitation. This time he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Notice the difference. First time, come and see. Let's, let's get to be friends. Second time, as he's got a foundation of relationship, he invites them to be trained and equipped for ministry to other people. And as you read the chronology, you'll see that Jesus, at this point, he begins to involve these guys in much of what he's doing. They're hands-on with him. They're learning what it means to minister to other people. Then in Luke chapter 5, Jesus offers another call to them. They've been fishing they haven't caught anything. <laughs> they must have read my book. That was supposed to be funny. Anyway. <laughs> They're pulling in close to shore. Morning is breaking. Jesus is on the shore, and he says, let down your nets. They resist a little bit, but they let down their nets, and they get this huge catch of fish. And Jesus says, from now on, you'll be catching men. And from that point... They never go back to what they were doing. They're following Jesus full-time, and they follow him all the way to the end. It's at that point, he's already issued that, that Mark chapter 3 falls into place. So he's got quite a foundation. He's spent quite a bit of time with these guys. And at this point, in the midst of his popularity, he invites these guys up to the mountainside. Now, it's important that we realize why he's inviting them. It says that he wanted them. Why did he want them? This is important. It's because they were faithful, they were available, and they were teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. If you take the first letter of each of those words, it spells fat. And I like that. <laughs> but it's a great way to remember it. These men were fat. I had a lady come up after the last service, and she said, I feel so good about that. <laughs> These guys have been submitting to Jesus. They've been allowing themselves to be trained by Jesus. They've built trust with one another. They've even left their jobs, their livelihood, to follow Jesus. And it's at that point that Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, unfold. This is important because at, it's at about this point that Jesus is making a transition himself. This is a passage about transition. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. That's what it says in Luke 19. He made his 
His intention very clear. His primary goal is to go to the cross and to bring redemption to mankind. That's where he's going. It's going to be important to get these 12 ready to take the news about what they're going to witness to the whole world. It's amazing to think that Christianity started with these 13 people. And I want to make another point about Jesus going to the cross. This is so important. This is a primary thing. You know, I've had the privilege of being in a lot of countries and talking to a lot of people about their idea of God and how they reach God. And all of the religions tend to be a little bit the same. They all basically are realizing that mankind is not perfect. The Bible would call us sinful. And that God is perfect and holy and just. And that there is a there's a separation between where we are and where he is. Now, I, I realize I'm making a very general comment, but religion is basically man and his best efforts to reach out to God, either through all kinds of rules, dietary rules, meditation, you, you name it. And mankind has cooked up different thoughts of trying to make themselves more acceptable to God. Here's, here's the thing to catch. Christianity, being specific, Christianity is different than religion. It's not a religion in reality. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with God made possible by being forgiven. If God's holy and just, and he demands justice, and he loves as he does, how does he satisfy that when man is separated? Very simply. It's amazing. It's an incredible idea. But that God became a man incarnate. He lived a sinless life because no human being could do it. And to, and to offer justice for God's holiness, he went and allowed himself to be sacrificed. His blood was shed. So all of man's sins could be forgiven. And hence, we can know God because of what Jesus did. If we'll, it's, it's as if God created this get-out-of-jail-free card, come and be a part of my family, spend eternity with me if you'll simply accept this pardon that I've offered in the person of Jesus and his work on the cross. That's amazing when you stop and think of it, that the God of the universe, the one who created all things, became a human being in order to live a perfect life, in order to die in our place. That's where Jesus is going. And the amazing news, this amazing story, has now been given to these 12. And they're being sent out to do it. It boggles my mind. And so the whole idea, the whole idea of passing this information on is incredibly important. And the idea of being faithful, available, and teachable 
is so critical to this message being spread. So, we get back to the mountainside. Jesus has extended another invitation to the men. And how do they respond? They go. They come up to the mountainside. And sometimes I think we forget that every invitation that's extended to us needs a response. And sometimes we ignore those invitations, and when we do, that's a no. So even me telling this story about God's redemption in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've not responded and accepted that and accepted the pardon that Jesus offers and you've put it off or you've ignored it, I'm telling you, what you're saying is no to God. And I pray that that weighs heavily on your soul. It should. Because God's done everything he can do to reach out to you. And, in this case, these 12 again said, yes, we'll come up on the, on the mountainside. And they did it because they've proven themselves time and again to be faithful, available, and teachable. Now then, I was trying to think of an example from my own life that might be helpful. And, um, you know, I didn't go to seminary for, to be a missionary. I'm not a missiologist. Um, I've read now quite a few books, but I really wasn't involved with that. I was a guy running my family's business in South County. I was a part of the first church plant that this church planted in South County. It's called Christ Community Church. It's still there. And through some friends of mine, um, God opened up an opportunity for our church to send a, a small group of people that I actually had in a discipleship group to Romania back in the summer of 1990. That was eight months after the revolution. We went into Romania, and there was such a response to the gospel, we were overwhelmed. We went to a city called Craiova. It's a town of about a half a million people. They had three churches and one pastor in the city. And during the week that we were there, talking to people, and, and it was partly the time. We were the first Americans who'd ever been there. We were thronged. There would be people that would line up in the park, I mean, literally stand in line to sit down next to me in a translator, to all of us. We were spread all over the park. So we could share the gospel with them, and they would receive Christ, and then they would leave, and the next person would come and sit down. We did this all week. We showed the Jesus film. Hundreds of people responded. At the end of the week, we had nearly 500 follow-up cards and these were people who were brave enough to put their names and contact information down. Lots of people were too scared to do that. They were afraid of the secret police. So you can imagine, as we came back, blown away, my first experience ever being outside of the United States, I didn't, we didn't know what to do. As we prayed about this, we decided God wanted us to try to plant a church there. I came in contact with the Evangelical Free Church of America's executive director for their global mission is a guy, guy named Ben Swatsky, and that's Ben's picture up there. That's 
There it is. He's leaning backward, talking to a guy. That's Andre Bondarenko in the red coat. Andre was the Russian evangelist that went into Tatistan and did tent crusades around Tatistan. In that picture, we're actually heading to the Moscow airport. It's the only picture, good picture I had of Ben. Ben heard about this thing in Romania, said, let me go visit. He visited. At the same time, our church decided we had to try to plant a church there. We took that idea of involving churches to reach into cities, and we began to expand that across Romania. And so slowly, I began to just go from church to church, telling this story, training teams to go, and they would go to Romania, and we would establish little groups of believers. And soon, the free church came alongside of us and began to put missionaries there. As Ben talked and he went and looked, he said, you know, Rick, God's opened a door in central Russia. Why don't you join our mission, leave your business, join our mission, and let's, let's take this idea and do it in Russia. And so that's how this church got involved in Titusstan. <laughs> you know, I came to some of the churches I know and said, would you guys want to partner? And so this church has been actively involved for years now and helped plant a church in Kazan, Tatistan. After doing this for about two and a half years, and I was traveling with Ben, you know, telling stories, praying together, reading the Bible together, we'd have meals together, sharing Christ together. I was with Ben a lot for about two years. That's how I learned missions, being with Ben. And then in 1996, Ben came to me and he said, you know, I've got another request. I've got another invitation, Rick. Would you leave St. Louis and move to Central Europe and be our director in Central Europe? Had two kids in high school, but we did it. And then eventually became the director of Europe. I say all of that because why did Ben pick me? I, I was not a seminary guy. He picked me because he'd spent time with me and he saw me as being faithful, available, and teachable and having gifts that would fit that role. That's what Jesus is doing with these guys right here. There are a lot of people that have been interested in him. A lot of guys that were probably smarter than these guys. But these guys were faithful, available, and teachable. Just as Ben appointed me to be the Central Europe director... Jesus is now, in this passage, he's appointing these 12. He's appointing these 12 to be his apostles, his sent ones. That's, a word, that's, the word, that's what the word apostle means, is they are sent ones. Maybe a better word that we might use is ambassador. These guys are Jesus' ambassador to take this news about him going to the cross and paying for men's sin and to spread it all over the world. This is a critical transi transition that's about to take place here. The, the fact that these guys respond again to the invitation and they're so committed to Jesus... There's trust between them, and he's willing to trust them with this life-changing 
earth-changing news. They're with him to be sent. Okay, now then, let's take another look at the passage. They're with him to be sent for two reasons. They're sent to preach, preach this good news, and the word there means to proclaim it. And yes, it's important to live a good life because oftentimes our actions speak louder than our words, but it's very clear here that we're to verbally be telling about this. The apostles, the sent ones, their assignment was to preach it, proclaim it, to do it verbally. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That's amazing news. We should be telling people. And I'm guilty. I'm scared oftentimes. I don't know what to say. I don't know when to say it. But this is life-changing news. We're sent, they're sent to preach. The second step in all of that is Jesus gives them authority to drive out demons. Now, you know, we don't talk much about that in our culture here in the West. We're pretty much science and technology here. You've got to be able to prove it. But it's not like that in a lot of places around the world. And... My experience with this is, is that, and I think we've all experienced this to some degree, if you've been around people or you yourself as you look back, when presented with this news about Jesus and accepting his pardon, oftentimes that's met with initial resistance of some kind, either ignoring it, withdrawing from it, or just pushing back on it. There's a spiritual world that's going on. And in fact, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, John writes, the whole world is under the control of Satan. And so as this good news begins to penetrate into individuals' lives and begins to go into areas where this news has not been told, you can expect that there will be resistance because Satan controls things. The Bible's very clear about this. Yet we don't talk about it very much, sadly. I've watched this happen. In fact, early on in Romania, when we went up to the city where Ceausescu, Nikolai Ceausescu, had been born and lived, and we began to take the gospel there, initially we could find no Christians in that city of almost 100,000. And some of the, our missionary friends that moved into that city to bring the gospel there they saw all kinds of physical resistance. They had people spitting at them, throwing things at them. They saw demonic things happen. We need to be aware of that because it happens and it's real. But Jesus has given authority over the evil spirits and the demons. He used it, the disciples watched him use it, and he gives them that authority. Bill Jones is going to talk about this a little more next week. 
We don't have time to delve into it. But I want you to be aware of it. It's important, important enough that Jesus offers this as part of the task that the apostles need to fulfill. So let me summarize here. There was an invitation, a number of invitations, and each time these 12 responded, they said yes. They were faithful, available, teachable. And as they built this relationship and this faithfulness, Jesus now, he extends an appointment to them. He's assigned them. He's assigned them to be apostles, sent ones. You guys are going to be the ones who are going to carry this news to the whole world. And with that assignment, they've been given the task of being an ambassador, and they're to preach and take authority over demons. Now then, you know, it's easy to think about apostles just being those guys back there. (laughs) But I suggest to you that we're all apostles. If you've received Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're a sent one. You've heard the good news. You've experienced the new birth. Go and tell and take authority that's been given to you over the evil one. And Paul says this very thing as he writes to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 20, and if you want to look at the Pew Bible, it's page 819-819, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you. I like some of the other translations that say, we're begging you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has left this incredible news to all of us that have been born again in Jesus to go to the world and to proclaim this incredible news to the world and to take authority over the evil one who will be resisting us. It started in in Jerusalem with those 12. And it's spreading, and it's spreading. So in a sense, it's almost as if Jesus had us up on the mountainside this this morning, and he was giving this to us as he did to the 12. So let me return to what I believe is the key point here. The transformational power of with is critical to being sent. Relationship and discipleship go hand in hand. And we're all sent to be ambassadors of Jesus to preach and take authority over demons.